To season three of Horror Palooza, the creepy dead-eyed Japanese child of horror podcast. That's right, we're back for season three. Thank you for joining us. My name is Sir Ian Dangerous, aka your Uncle Frank. And you can find me on Twitter at Sir Ian Dangerous and on Instagram also at Sir Ian Dangerous. For those of you who are just finding us, welcome to the show. Thank you to everyone who's been tagging along for season one and two. We're back for more this year and maybe more we'll find out but here we are we've all made it through nine months of 2020 (laughs) and most of us are still on this side of the grave most of us are and for those of you that are not welcome to the show it is october we made it everybody we made it to october thank goodness it is the most wonderful time of the year don't believe the hype it is this month right here not anything later on in the year that's that comes later that comes later so what does that mean it means as well as artery clogging candy sexy costumes for everything from nurses to pop stars to tibetan monks uh, pumpkin spice everywhere. It's in your coffee. It's in your cocktails. It's in your cookies. Hell, I even hear McDonald's is doing pumpkin spice Big Macs. You know what else it's time for? It's time for horror movies. Yes, it's the time of the year we all get to watch horror movies. And I know we can watch horror movies all year long, and we do, but now it's actually seasonally appropriate, at least here in the United States. And if you're not in the U.S., just say it's a good excuse because those idiot Yankees are doing it, so you can too. It's It's all good. Let's all watch horror movies in October because it just feels right. So because it is Halloween season, and because that means it's horror movie season, let's talk about horror movies. Now, every year I do a little ritual, a marathon, if you will, an endurance test, although it's actually not that hard. It's a lot of fun. I watch 31 horror movies, one for each day of the month of October, 31 for 31, but... That's not all. I can't just watch any horror movies. No, no, no. I can't just willy-nilly watch all of the uh, John Carpenter Halloween films and all the Friday the 13th and just call it a day. No. I have a set of rules that I have to follow. I have to make a little game out of it. You know, kind of like Jigsaw out of the Saw movies, only with less bear trap headgear and more pig masks. But because it's 2020, I decided to up the ante. Nothing, nothing in 2020 can be easy. So I decided to double down, double up, actually, if you will, on all of my rules. Nothing. Before, previously, my rules were this. Nothing watched in the last five years counts, right? I can't watch anything I've seen in the last five years. No horror movies I've seen in the previous five years. That would be cheating. But now I've doubled that to 10 years. So nothing that I've seen in the last 10 years I can watch this year. Uh, I I usually say I have to have at least three languages that are not English represented 
Now I'm dialing that up to six. I have to watch six foreign language films this year. And at least one film, this is the tough one, I have to watch at least one film from every decade from the pre-1950s to the present, meaning I have to have at least one film from the 40s. I have to have one film from the 50s, the 60s, the 70s, 80s, 90s, aughts, and teens. But now, two movies for every decade. That's going to limit my choices somewhat. So it's going to make it interesting for me to try to pick movies that I can watch for all that. Also, it's going to mean that I have to spread out and watch a bunch of different stuff. So hopefully that's better for you guys listening and the podcast in general because it'll keep things interesting and shake things up. That's the idea. A couple of other minor rules I've got. I can't use any multiple films from the same franchise, meaning if I watch Friday the 13th Part 1, 2, 3, Final Chapter 5, 6, if I watch all of them, they only count as one, meaning I can't cheat and do like a whole bunch of movies from the same franchise and be like, yeah, 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 it was a great marathon this year. Nope. I've got to do movies from all over. Keeps me, keeps me moving. And of course, this last one seems to be self-evident, but I've had to explain this before. They have to be horror movies. And that, by that, I mean, I have to be able to make a cogent argument that the movie in question is a horror movie. And there's some movies where we've had to debate before if they were really horror movies, you know, if, if they if they really qualify as horror movies, yes, I have to be able to make a defense that they are horror movies. Usually that's not a problem. But for some reason these days, I got to defend like Silence of the Lambs against people who say that it's a police procedural. And uh, I'm not going to get into that debate right now, but suffice it to say, I have to watch horror movies, horror movie, horror movies only and ones I can defend. As such, now this podcast is dedicated to spreading the word about these movies. Uh, I do about a week's worth of reviews every one of these shows, so we talk about about seven movies. There's a there's a bit of a longer show at the end of the month. Uh, do I recommend them? Should you avoid them? Do you feel the same way as I do about them when you watch them? Hit me up on Twitter. Let me know, Sir Ian Dangerous. What did you think? Am I preaching to the choir here, or am I completely off my wizard here? and saying that some movie's great, and you're like, it's absolutely awful. What are you talking about? Dude. Also, I got, I got a little something special. I got a little something special for you all this year. This year is special. I will be having an interview with uh, the producer and a couple of the stars from the movie One BR, or One Bedroom. You can find it now on Netflix. I'll be doing an interview with Alok Mishra, Naomi Grossman, and Clayton Hoff. Uh, and, and you might know Naomi, actually, already before. She was on American Horror Story. She played Penny in seasons two and four, and she was Cardinal Samantha Crow in season eight. I'm looking forward to that interview. I'm actually conducting it later this week, so you'll all have that on the show coming up later in the month, and you'll, you'll be able to hear all of that about the movie 1BR. I'm also doing a review of that movie on the show today, so you can get my thoughts on it and check it out if you feel like you want to. Uh, so I'm looking forward to sharing all of that with you guys. I've got a list of uh, 31 horror movies on Netflix, Hulu, and Amazon Prime that you all should check out. I'm going to save that for the end of the show. So if you need a little bit of uh, viewing pleasure and you're not sure what to, to watch, you got a little stumped on that, I have some suggestions for you for the streaming services. Uh, so yeah, let, let's dive right in. I'd like to thank, before we get into the show, my musical contributors, the Tiki Creeps did that awesome opening theme. Also want to thank 414 Beg, 
Both those guys are on iTunes. Tiki Creeps are at tikicreeps.com. 414beg is on Instagram. And he also just released an awesome new album on Spotify. You can find him on Spotify as well. For the numbers, 414BEG. Uh, his album is called Violence. It's very cool, very dark stuff. Uh, of course, if you haven't yet, please subscribe to Horror Palooza on your podcast app of choice. Hit that subscribe button and leave a review and or a rating. Help me out. Share us with your friends. We are also on the Orbital Jigsaw Network of Podcasts at orbitaljigsaw.com. And, you know, a little bit of cross-promotion here. If you like pro wrestling, check out Busted Wide Open, where Nick Howell and I run down the news and hottest topics about WWE, AEW, NXT, New Japan, and more. You can find us on twitch.tv forward slash Busted Wide Open. We go live a couple times every week. We're also on Twitter at BWO Podcast. Check us out over there. It's a fun show if you dig the graps. But if you're just here for the horror movies, then let's get over to the horror movies. Let's talk about what I kicked things off with this year, as I always do, kind of a tradition. I kick it off with Hammer Horror, because Hammer is my jammer. Forget I ever said that. Hammer's awesome. Captain Kronos Vampire Hunter was what I started off this year. It was from uh, 1974. It's actually currently on Hulu and Amazon Prime, although I believe Hulu is dropping it at the end of October, so check it out if you want before then. Written and directed by Brian Clemens who's not known for a whole lot else. Horst Jansen is the main star, also not known for a whole lot else. Shane Bryant is in it, too. If you've ever seen uh, Frankenstein and the Monster from Hell, which is also on Hulu and Amazon right now, it's one of the later good uh, Hammer Frankenstein movies with Peter Cushing. Uh, Shane Bryant plays his assistant in that movie. And it also has... Carolyn Monroe, Bond girl, my goodness, this is a beautiful woman. She is in this. You might recognize her also from uh, the abominable Dr. Fibes with Vinnie Price. And also Maniac, the original Maniac. She was in that too. So Captain Kronos, Vampire Hunter. I think the name kind of says it all. He's a vampire hunter. It makes it a little redundant. He He tracks down this group of vampires who have been sucking the youth out of local young village girls and he's got a buddy. He's got a he's got a hunchback professor friend named Professor Hieronymus Grosht. I can't make these names up. And uh, the hot gypsy that he picks up by the side of the road, his name is Carla. That's Carolyn Monroe. My God, she was a beautiful one. Uh, so these vampires are unique. They don't suck blood. They suck away your time. They make you. They take away your youth and make you old. It's uh, kind of like realizing all your favorite movies are old enough to drink. It's that same kind of feeling. It's what they do to you. This movie is. It's like a, a bizarre amalgamation of multiple different concepts to create a. a it's a very unique story. It's very unique. Uh, that's being kind. It. This movie is. Unlike very many things you will ever see, they just went balls to the wall on this. You could not make this movie today. Um, you know, you've got this swashbuckling pseudo medieval ex army guy from the 1800s who's wielding a Japanese sword and uh, a saber and fighting off villagers and vampires. It's it's pretty wacky. Um, there's a lot of little odd touches like that throughout that keep it engaging. They they use a lot of like vampire lore that you've never seen before. Uh, at the time, the vampire was 
about as stale as a crouton. They were trying all different ways to reinvigorate it. The idea of like the gothic Dracula was pretty much dead by this point as a movie trope. So they were trying to find new things and they were getting pretty desperate. And that's why this movie just goes so gonzo with its concepts. Um, but you get everything that you expect in a Hammer horror film. The atmosphere, the set dressing, uh, the acting. And honestly, credit where credit's due, uh, Clemens does do a pretty good job with his camera. There's some very interesting camera setups and cuts. He's, they're, they're trying to get your attention with this movie. Uh, that being said, as it's 50 years old now, give or take, this movie is not for everybody. It does feel its age. It's very much a gonzo 70s film. Not tons of gore, but for the time it was considered, uh, it actually got cut pretty significantly, uh, both, for its, both for its violent content and some of its sexuality, even though you never actually see anything. I would actually argue you could actually show this to like a 10 or 12-year-old these days and totally get away with it. It's not that scary it's not that sexual really uh it's a movie that the younger generation could enjoy because they if they're if they're not biased uh by the kind of stuff that you see today so it's yeah it's campy it's a hoot it's a bit i I actually say it was a slept on classic it's not going to go down as being the scariest movie of all time it's more of an action horror than anything else but it's a lot of fun, uh, and I actually enjoyed it a lot. The, the sword fight at the end, there's this Errol Flynn-like sword fight at the end that is legit as hell. If you're into swashbuckling, this movie is definitely the movie for you. I know you didn't come to a horror podcast wondering if you were going to hear about a swashbuckling movie, but <laughs> here we are. Uh, so yeah, check out Captain Kronos Vampire Hunter. It is a lot of fun, even if it is a bit goony. Day two, I watched The Endless Uh, It's a 2017 movie. You can find it on Netflix right now. It is uh, directed, produced, starring Justin Benson and Aaron Moorhead. And you might know them. They also did Resolution. They did Spring. This is their third movie, and it's it's not really a sequel to Resolution. It is a it has a scene in it that is a direct sequel to Resolution. But you don't need to have seen Resolution to enjoy this film. Uh, it's about two brothers who leave a cult when they're very young, and then they try to make it out in the real world, and then they, they get this mysterious videotape one day, and that draws them back to the woods where the cult lives, and then one brother, once they're there, wants to stay, and the other one, he wants to find out what's really going on here, because it's, he thinks it's a UFO death cult, but there's something else weird that's happening about it. So the question is, is this a horror film? And I had to ask myself that a couple of times during this. And I think that absolutely yes, because it opens with a freaking H.P. Lovecraft quote about fear of the unknown. There's an unabashed Lovecraftian influence. There's actually even a Lovecraftian beastie in it, kind of. Uh, and to say much more than that would be spoiling some of, the, some of the, the joy of unraveling the mystery around what it is. So I'll leave it at that. Yes, it's a horror film. It's, it's Lovecraftian. It is a bit of a slow burn. It's on the low-budget side, but it doesn't ever feel too low-budget. They did a good job of making it work. Uh, Despite the relatively amateur cast, it never feels like high school theater, which can sometimes happen in the low-budget movies. Uh, Actually, on the contrary, a lot of the acting is, is pretty phenomenal, which is necessary because a lot of the supernatural aspects of this movie have to be sold by these performances, and the performances have to be spot on to do that because there is just so much extra 
that they, they've got to project to you, the audience. Uh, Benson and Moorhead are actually a filmmaking team, and you can tell in this they have a pretty strong connection. And it's actually one of the joys of the movie is seeing how they play off each other as playing the two brothers. Uh, I actually found out that uh, Benson's mother uh, actually passed away. She committed suicide three days before filming on this, uh, this movie started. And, I mean, I can only imagine what he was going through while filming this movie. And apparently his father was even working catering. So they were working through it together while filming this movie. And you can actually see there's a, there's a delicacy to his performance in this movie that uh, he's the more susceptible brother. And his performance is, is raw in a way that, that often doesn't exist in movies of this size. And that's, that's not to discount Moorhead, who's, who's, he's playing a much more macho brother, but that's a really great contrast because that's what his character needs to be. So him being a bit more grounded and having Benson play the, uh, the brother that's a little bit more, just not, he's not quite there. There's something else going on with him. And you can almost feel that radiating out of him when he just stands still because that's really what he was going through. And it's, it's a really nice, just bit like a tinge to the movie, uh, even though the movie doesn't really have any explicit connection to those emotions, you can still feel that they're there. And it does lend a, a little subtle extra touch to the acting. Now, unfortunately, I do have to nitpick. There is there's a major flaw in the plot here and I'm going to try and be as unspoilery as possible but the the plot device which is the source of all the problems that that Lovecrafty and Beastie I mentioned he's actually described at one point in the movie by an expository character Dr. Exposition he shows up in the movie and it's actually it's a it's a really wonderfully unsettling scene even though it is a Dr. Exposition scene but then not two scenes later the same problem is unable to be described to the other brother because it's, he's, it's described as being literally indescribable. That's pretty rich because literally it was described five minutes before, and it's a concept that's not actually that hard to wrap one's head around. And a lot of the propulsion of the plot comes from some of the people not being able to describe the quote-unquote indescribable, but then the only time the plot moves forward is when someone describes the indescribable, but if the people that couldn't describe the indescribable could describe the indescribable then we would be where we wanted to go a lot faster and so it gets a little bit frustrating when some people can describe the indescribable and others can't if that makes sense <laughs> it's <laughs> i know that sounds like a lot but in a movie like this where they're where they're playing with a lot of different heady concepts when something like that is just so glaringly obvious as being a a, a fake plot device it does tend to great. And also, the ending's a little bit pat, all things considered. Um, but I'm, I'm not going to lie. It's worth a watch for that good, creepy Lovecraftian story, even if it does stray a bit from the bleakness and hopelessness of his works. It's, you know what? It's more Stephen Kingish in the way that it centers around the relationships of the two brothers and the struggle that they have to break free from their own personal prisons as well as the ones that are set for them by a larger, scarier world that they just can't quite figure out. In, in some ways, the movies, it settles on the idea that old gods or unknowable entities are in some ways preferable and more manageable 
than the monolithic and inscrutable intricacies of navigating the modern world and trying to create a life for oneself in the midst of a sea of confusion and isolation. So, yeah, very strong movie. I recommend checking it out uh, if you like that kind of horror, very cerebral kind of horror. Coming up on day three, it was time for The Taking of Deborah Logan from 2014. You can find it on Amazon Prime, uh, directed by Adam Robitel, who also did Insidious The Last Key and Escape Room. So this is a found footage film. Uh, it's about a documentary crew that follows the progression of a woman's descent into Alzheimer's, only to discover that something far darker is going on. Dun, dun, dun. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, like, it's a possession movie about an Alzheimer's patient, and it opens with a just riveting and devastatingly realistic look at the nature of the Alzheimer's disease. The first 10 minutes is describing what Alzheimer's is, how it works, what it does, and watching this woman be affected by it. And the first part of the movie is, is watching someone with, with these Alzheimer's symptoms. And it's, you could consider this exploitative, but honestly, it's truly horrific, which is appropriate for a horror movie. It, it, it makes us look at something that's real and terrifying, this inescapable form of slow death, the destruction of our past, the loss of our mental faculties. Uh, that, is as, that is something as terrifying as any demon or possession is the loss of one's self. And it's real. It actually happens. So then mixing that with something supernatural, it, it, to me, it seems like a perfect horror formula. So the parallels drawn between the two, between Alzheimer's and possession, are pretty much the backbone of the movie. And it's, it really is a solid and gut-wrenching foundation on which to base a horror film. And it, it works pretty well. That being said, the movie does rely a bit too much on editing tricks and loud sound effects. Uh, but it is genuinely disturbing thanks to the subject matter and the look of Logan herself. Uh, the actress that they got is just, is just fantastically creepy. Uh, does a great job uh, with her facial expressions and her body posture and everything. The movie gets going very quickly. You go from, yeah, she's got Alzheimer's to, nope, something more is going on pretty, pretty fast. It doesn't ever slow down. Um, and it really only stumbles, in my opinion, in the overwrought and kind of over-the-top climax. But it does end with a very, very nice, chilling last beat. So I would actually say it sticks the landing uh, after getting a little bit goony in the in the climax it also suffers from something i like to call the too much explanation of the mystery problem and that's found in way too many horror movies i'm looking at you hereditary now while it does leave some things to be interpreted having a character who exists only to explain the entire plot dr exposition's back it's one of the biggest writing blunders that there is in a story in my opinion it endless had it uh, Dr. Exposition's back. Uh, Dr. Exposition is back in Taking of Deborah Logan. Uh, this movie would have been far more disturbing if we hadn't had a whole inserted mini film. It was, it was like the, uh, the Deathly Hallows insert in the Harry Potter movies where all of a sudden we're watching a cartoon. It's like that, uh, only in a found footage film. I, I think it would have been much more disturbing film if we hadn't had this whole mini film inserted on the backstory of cults and serial killers and all the rest they try to jam in here to explain what's going on with her we don't need an explanation there was no real explanation in the exorcist it's why it's one of the scariest possession movies of all time it's been why did it happen to this poor little girl 
She was unlucky. That's terrifying. That's way more terrifying than there's forces amassed against you because you have all this history. No, take it out. Make it mysterious. It's creepier. Overall, though, it, it is a worthwhile watch for horror heads. If you hate found footage films, you might get put off by this. It's got a lot of the same tropes, shaky cam. Like I said, the editing and cuts that are obvious props to, to create scares, but which break the illusion of it being an actual documentary. There's music when there shouldn't be music in a documentary. You know, if people are watching something happen, all of a sudden you've got music. Like, where's the music coming from? Um, and, and that lack of subtlety is the major flaw of this movie. But in those quiet moments in this movie where we spend the time watching a loved one slip into a state that is one step removed from reality, that is, that is, that is slow, she's slowly dying, her brain is going away, who she is as a person is disappearing. It, that just, it sticks like a needle deep into your flesh. It stays there. This is actually, of the found footage genre kinds of movies, this is one of the better ones I've seen. So if you don't totally hate the genre, check out Taking of Deborah Logan. It is pretty damn creepy. Uh, going from creepy to the opposite of creepy to just plain up disgusting, day four, The Stuff from 1985. You can find it on Amazon Prime right now. Written and directed by the one, the only, Larry Cohen. And if you don't know about Larry Cohen and you have a, a Shudder subscription, go check out Shudder. There's a, there's a picture, uh, a documentary on Larry Cohen. It's worth a watch. The guy was absolutely batshit insane. And he made a lot of crazy movies around this time. Cue the Winged Serpent, It's Alive, and it's two sequels. And of course, this movie, The Stuff, about a new dessert product that hits the markets and it's wildly popular until it starts killing people because it might actually be sentient. Which, I know that sounds bizarre and it is it's a bizarre movie uh michael moriarty plays the lead character he is captivating he is the movie as far as i'm concerned he plays a corporate saboteur like a spy who plays dumb he's playing dumb the entire movie uh, to people and watching him play a guy who is smarter than everybody else in the entire movie at all times but always playing like he's not is absolutely riveting the, the stuff is secondary. The horror aspects are totally secondary. I loved watching Michael Moriarty be Michael Moriarty in this. Uh, the rest of the plot's just there to get us to the goofy, goofy stuff. So when the stuff starts eating people from the inside out in these 80s gore-tastic ways with all kinds of rubber props and goop and gore, uh, it's a lot of fun when it does actually happen. And the movie's actually a lot smarter than it needed to be. And apparently there was actually a problem. Cohen actually had to trim out some expository parts, some character-building parts, because the studio wanted a faster-paced, more horrific movie. And he ended up bringing them a film that was way more satirical and wry than they wanted. They were like, just give us something goopy and gory. And he said, okay, I hear you on that, but how about instead I give you a treatise on consumerism, junk food, and mob mentality? How about that? And they were like, we just wanted to see people being eaten by yogurt. That's all we wanted to see. And you do see that, but there's a lot more going on in this movie besides that. There's 
also, you know, they've also got Garrett Morris in this movie, and he plays a bit of a bit role. It's kind of the the you know yuckster sidekick for part of the movie. Uh, and at the time, he was a fairly hot property. He was an original cast member of SNL. You probably recognize him from a few things. But it was supposed to be going to Arsenio Hall because Cohen uh, thought Arsenio Hall was going to be a big star. But the studio wanted to go with Garrett Morris because at the time he had more mainstream appeal. So interesting little note. But Garrett Morris is a lot of fun in this movie uh, with his with his with his iron fists. The movie, look, it's schlock. I'll, I'll I'll come right out and say it. The movie is schlock. But there are some pretty chilling scenes. There's a there's a scene that actually I was surprised at how creepy it was uh, when a young boy who is rightfully afraid of the stuff he, he catches it moving one night. Uh, he's actually becomes trapped by his family because they've been converted by the stuff. They're all stuffies, and they want him to eat it pod people style. And so you've got this menace from the family forcing this young kid to eat this stuff, which is going to take away his humanity. And it's a nice, creepy scene. Uh, But the real enjoyment here is that witty script, the satire, the amount of fun you can tell everyone is having. My God, Paul Sorvino's in this playing an army general. And I, I don't know if I've ever seen him have this much fun in a movie. Danny Aiello pops up as a guy with a dog who just wants stuff just a little bit too much. It's a lot of fun. It's a very fun, goony movie. A couple of good gore moments. Uh, but surprisingly smarter than you'd think if you pay attention and watch it close. On day five, we've got Tigers Are Not Afraid. And that is the American title. Uh, the actual Mexican title, the actual Spanish language title is Vuelven, which is also which is They Return or Return. Uh, it's on Shutter right now. It's from 2017. It was written and directed by Isa Lopez, and it's about a group group of orphans who are in the ruins of a drug cartel infested city in Mexico, and they're trying to survive while being chased by both these murderous drug cartel thugs and the ghosts of the slain civilians, and they've only got three wishes and a stolen gun to protect them. And honestly, I feel like. Saying it like that does it a bit of a disservice because this movie is so much more subtle than that. It's so much more gentle about its themes, even while it's in the midst of just absolute brutality. And it's kind of sad that in in English, the movie's called Tigers Are Not Afraid because that's just, it's way too on the nose, especially given the number of times the phrase is actually uttered or relevant in the film. So as I said, the Spanish language title translates to return or they return, which is way more poetic and meaningful given the subject matter and the plot. It takes place in this world of magical realism. It's, it's very much a, a slight step left of reality, but that's at least it's, it's for the girl who's the main character around whom most of the film revolves. She's the one who views the world in this sort of childlike mystical way. And we're never really certain how real some of the more horrific or fantastical elements are, although some of the the violence in the movie is all too real and, and brutal. So you have to figure out what's actually going on sometimes. It's it, you know it's kind of like early Guillermo del Toro, like think uh, Devil's Backbone or Pan's Labyrinth, only it's way more angry and urban and modern and pointed. It's very specific. Lopez is obviously and rightly furious about the current state of Mexico, particularly the chaos and violence brought about by everything from savage drug gangs to the police 
who turn a blind eye to them, to the politicians who enable and sometimes lead them. In particular, she unflinchingly shows the effect this has on the children caught in the crossfire or sometimes left behind in its wake. And the movie's most horrific, lasting impression comes not from the grisly sight of blood-spattered ghosts, but from the loss of innocence and the brutal lives of these children in the film. It's, it's contrasted by their sweetness and childishness. Even the, in the midst of all this devastation, there are, uh, there are moments of play and make-believe and laughter, and you, you see these kids be kids in the midst of all this, but these just those just serve to, to set up the poignance of the intent behind the film, which is this yearning for strength and the will to overcome this darkness that has infested the country that is surrounding them. So it's, I can't say this movie's a fun watch. It's not. It's, it's hard, it's depressing, but it is beautiful in this gritty, savage kind of way. It's, it, is, it is a tough, tough watch, but I highly recommend it. Uh, if you're if you're looking for gore and guts and cool kills, this isn't that kind of horror movie. This is about real horror and not real like taking of Deborah Logan where it's based on something real. This is about something much, much larger than that. It's a real horror. It's juxtaposed with this fantastical and supernatural forces. Uh, those frame the goings on of the real world and and it contextualizes that horror in our minds so that we can comprehend and deal with that real world horror that much better, which is one of the most fundamental reasons to watch horror movies is to help contextualize the horrors of the real world. So uh, a great movie, and I can tell that she, she used this to be cathartic for herself uh, when she was making it. I, I don't know how, if we will ever understand how a place can end up the way that it has in this film. I don't know if any movie can help explain it to us, but it, it is worthwhile to know that we can end up like that and to be shown that, yes, this can happen. I think that, in a, that alone is worthwhile. And uh, like I said, while the movie's probably, it's not a very fun watch, I think it's a good watch because it, it's a good film to check out because more people need to understand what's going on, and this movie helps do it in a way that is, like, like horror movies, it makes it palatable. It makes real-life horror palatable. There you go. So on day six, went to Cry of the Banshee from 1970. It was time for a little Vincent Price. Now, Vincent Price in this plays a sadistic and amoral magistrate in 16th century England, and his fanatical attempts to root out witchcraft in the surrounding area turns on him as the real witches strike back. It's kind of like the second Star Wars movie, only with witches. Uh, the only problem is, is that Vincent Price is a dick in this film, so you're rooting for the witches to get him the entire film. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a mess. Hold on. i, I got to talk about something else in this film. Rapey, rapey, rape, 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 rape. So many awkward bodice-bearing, half-hearted scenes of women being assaulted by these sallow, 70s porn-ugly men. So many. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm not adverse to having a little bit of nudity in my horror films. I don't mind if you need to show some sort of sexual violence if it's done in, in <laughs> respectful or appropriate ways. But this movie is just above and beyond and drags it out, and, and these women kind of half-heartedly fighting off these men. It's, it's pretty awful. Uh, Vincent Price is fantastic, as always. He's the reason to watch the film. Uh, 
But the problem is, we don't really get a lot of them. We mostly deal with the secondary cast. Cast, and among them, we find either these reprehensible brutes or these unrelatable chalk outlines instead of, instead of characters. No one here is a fully developed character. Uh, and the ones that get the most screen time are the ones that you hate the most. Uh, you've got the most, the world's most despicable family that's headed up by Price, and they're all apparently cursed. Now, we actually watch them get cursed in this film, which is funny because they actually say that they're cursed before they get cursed in the film, so I'm not sure which it is. Maybe they've always been cursed, but then they get cursed again, but this curse is worse. I, I'm probably overthinking it, but I'm not done overthinking it. We also got the most milk toast group of these hippie pagans, witches, Satanists. I don't know what to call them. They don't even know what they, they, they We're never really sure what they are. I don't, think, I don't think the movie knows either. And these idiots love dancing like blind melon groupies in the forest until they get slaughtered by Price and his boys. And their leader, Una who is just ludicrously played by an actual reputable British actress named Elizabeth Bergner. She starts pestering Satan about when he's going to get off his lazy ass and get to messing up the magistrate, Vincent Price. And then she ultimately just takes matters into her own hands with voodoo dolls and bad accents. And, and that's, that's the supposed bad guys. Then you have the actual bad guys who are the... Okay, you've also got people that are not bad guys. Bad guys, bad guys. And then you have these, the ostensible leads. The, quote, nice daughter of Vincent Price's character and her, uh, what was, he's like a horse wrangler slash sex boy. He, he looks like Dr. Oz fucked Dirk Diggler and lost. He, he actually, and then he's also a pawn of Satan himself. He's, he's being controlled by Una. I mean, I don't know if we're supposed to root for the coven of witches. I mean, they do seem pretty chill, but they were caught doing a really piss poor black Sabbath. And then their bloodlust for the evil family turns out to be kind of extreme because they're trying to take out the good kids as well. I mean, they're, and they're also literally Satanists. They're literally calling out Satan to help them. Um, I'm not really sure how the old gods and Satan became intertwined here. We hear about both of them. They worship the old gods, but then they're in there actually worshiping Satan. Uh, I mean, it's probably just most likely lazy writing and then that early 70s penchant for making fucking everything about the devil. Uh, I, are we supposed to root for literally anybody else? I'm, and I'm not sure. Because literally the only truly sympathetic character here is Vinnie Price's daughter. And all she wants to do in the entire movie is spend her days banging the servant boy. And she is utterly useless. Aside from that. there's I'm, I'm trying to think of other secondary characters. There's this very pious priest uh, he has an absolutely hilariously bad confrontation with the coven that it's, it's, it's painful. He like runs in on them, throws up his cross, and then just kind of stands there and just like, um, God is good. God is very, very good. It's, it's, it's painful. Um, there's the other, quote, good son. But I couldn't ever get a handle on him because he just goes from being a little wuss uh, and he gets, he gets hand he gets manhandled by Vincent Price by his own dad in this bratty spat, and then he just turns around and cold bloodedly cuts throats and runs away. And he's a good guy. So yeah, the directing is bad too, and even for the time, the scenes of drama are hamstrung by terrible acting, terrible edits, terrible action. There is just incomprehensibly bad blocking in several scenes, including the one I just mentioned with the priest. Uh, characters are forced 
to move in awkward ways due to the director's poor choices of where to put the damn camera. Look, some scenes go on for too long. I'm looking at you, rape scenes. Others are too short. Uh, there's enough technical blunders, continuity errors, and production gaffes to fill a battleship. It's a mess. So, I didn't want to have to do this, but I'm, I'm, I've got to have to. I got to go here. I got to go here. I got to get technical and nerdy here for a second. So forgive me. To top this off, the movie is called "Cry of the Banshee." Now, the word "banshee" comes from two Irish Gaelic words, "ban" and "see," right? Banshee. It, it sounds like it sounds. Ben is Gaelic for woman. She, which can be spelled S-I-S-H-I-S-I-D-H-E. It's referencing the, the burial mounds that are scattered all over the terrain of Ireland. And those, those are typically associated with the fairy folk. And they've got a, the fairy folk have a whole pantheon and bestiary of their own. I'm, it's a horror show. I'm not going to get into that right now. But suffice to say, the Irish have a whole lot of stories about the fairy folk. So therefore, Banshee, by definition, banshee, it means a woman of the fairy mounds. And in Irish folklore, she was a, a smaller creature, and her, her, her wailing or keening was inhuman, and it would, it would portend the death of a family member. It meant if you heard the banshee, a family member was going to die. Now, they do reference a she, a S-I-D-H-E, in the film as being the monster that the Satanist pagans, witches, blind melon groupies, whatever. They're, they're controlling that she to revenge themselves upon uh, Vincent's family. But the monster is A, not small, B, not a fairy, and C, not a woman. Also, the, quote, cry of the banshee itself in the film sounds more like a recording of a bad attempt at a wolf howl. Uh, like, it's like a wolf howl. It's like, Arr! But it's like a bad recording of it that a, that a guy did in the London Underground tube station. It sounds like crap. And while the she in the movie does show up and kill off family members, it's just about as far as you can get from an actual banshee. But then again, I'm nitpicking, and this movie's not exactly about what it was advertising anyway. It's supposedly based on Edgar Allan Poe, and the poem The Bells by Edgar Allan Poe does open the film, but that's pretty much where any connection ends. Poe never wrote about mentally challenged Satanist witch pagans and Irish werewolf demons, to my knowledge, but maybe he did. Correct me if I'm wrong over on Twitter, at Sir Ian Dangerous. But, uh, but, you know, Vincent Price, Edgar Allan Poe, they have a successful history of having both their names on the billing of a film. So maybe that was the plan. That's what they were going for. I don't know. It didn't work <laughs> no matter what. So no Banshee, no Poe connection. I suppose we should just be glad we got Vincent Price in it when they put his, his name above the title. So, and he is the only reason to watch it. Oh, oh, and there is an opening sequence by Terry Gilliam. Yeah, uh, that Terry Gilliam, Monty Python Terry Gilliam. He did an actual straight serious opening sequence, which I actually looked at and thought, that looks like the opening to Monty Python. And then I looked it up, and it was actually him doing it. So kind of funny. I don't know what, that doesn't mean you should watch the film. Uh, only if you only if you really want to suffer or you like Vincent Price, but uh, yeah, if you like Terry Gilliam, there you go. You can watch the opening and turn it off. Day six, we get to one br uh, or one bedroom, however you want to say it. Uh, this is from last year. Came out late last year, two thousand nineteen. It is currently on Netflix. It was number one in horror on Netflix for a while. There was trending really high. It's since kind of fallen off their algorithm a little bit. But you can still find it on there. Just search for it. Uh, it was written and directed by David Marmore. 
and it's about uh, I'm I'm gonna try and be as non-spoilery as possible, but uh, I'll do my best. A young transplant uh, to L.A. Uh, thinks she has found in a nice apartment in a complex full of these warm, welcoming people, and she couldn't be more wrong. And that's about where I'm going to leave it. And this is because this is a movie that's best gone into completely blind and enjoyed for its unique take on several common horror tropes. It's a, it really actually is a fantastic and even-handed slice of social anxiety served up on a platter of very relevant social commentary. Now, if I were to describe the plot to you, if I were to spoil it all and lay it out, it would actually seem very simple and straightforward. But it gives these flavors of other films such as Invitation and Martyrs. The, uh, and I know those sound like very different films, but trust me, when you see it, you'll understand. But the enjoyment in this movie is the slow burn and the unpredictable choices of the characters and the phenomenal acting that keeps you riveted to their decisions. Now, look, full disclosure, I know that it's easy for me to be biased on this film since... One of the producers and some of the cast are being nice enough to come on my little show. But I genuinely believe this is a very good film. Now, there are lots of places that it could have slipped up. They could have gone for the easy scare. They could have gone for the cheap emotional moment. But they don't. And as I was saying, the actors are utterly fantastic. With Nicole Bryden Bloom, I have to give a shout out. The main character, she has several scenes where her immediacy... And her availability as an actor were absolutely jaw-dropping. She's playing multiple levels of emotions with this searing intensity. And she's just nailing it scene after scene. She's got a bunch of scenes that must have been so hard as an actor. And she absolutely, not simple horror, I'm scared of something. There are multiple things going on. There's multiple things going on in her character's head. And she has to play them all so that we can interpret them. And she does it's fantastic. Now, that, that being said, the whole cast is very solid. There is no hint of indie movie acting here from anyone. And it, it does feel like a small-budget horror film because it is, but it never lets that keep it from being riveting and watchable, and you will forget that it's a small-budget horror film quite often. Now, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention Susan Davis who you might remember is the mom from War Games way back in the day, if you're an old fogey like me. Uh, she plays a kooky old neighbor who's also a washed-up actress. This is a lot of fun. Uh, Taylor Nichols and Naomi Grossman, who will be on my show, uh, they were a couple who are the de facto mom and dad of the building. Clayton Hoff is also coming on the show. He's the token creepy neighbor in the, in the movie, uh, and he does a great job at it. Never gets too big. So, and no one really feels put on or out of place. It's all dialed in perfectly and there's a lot to parse here too um marmor and everyone else involved in this they, they create this sinister little look at a lot of modern problems that could and and, and the way that they do it could be in, interpreted in many many different ways but ultimately it's the subtler clues that let us know where the real intentions lie now i've seen this movie described by other reviewers as a commie scare film as this cold-hearted dismissal of communal living as an ode to individualism and some of that i can see where they get that from uh but usually they describe that most of those things as criticisms of the film but i i think that they, it's also it's hard to watch this movie without 
in the current modern context, uh, uh, what we're looking at where we are right now in the world, this move was this movie was made without knowledge of what 2020 had to bring us and a world where the individual desires of a person versus the welfare of a society and the debate around that was not on the horizon in any appreciable way when this movie was made. So I can't fault this movie for raising its flag on the altar of self-empowerment and breaking free from societal requirements because it wasn't created to be contextualized in this time where wearing a mask or not would be politicized and made into a make or break point for social interactions. This movie's not about that. It's about something else. Um, I mean, I, I don't want to get too spoilery, but so I'm not going to reveal plot points, but I, I do have to discuss some of the, the deeper meanings of the movie here. I mean, this film presents a sinister look at absolute collectivism bordering on social fascism which normally would be at odds in principle they, they, they'd be they don't quite match up but here they overlap due to this author, authoritarian power dynamic created to establish a cult-like indoctrination process by which the individual is broken down by the collective and assimilated through various means of pressure to create a, a new functioning member of the group it's a look at society as an amoeba it's absorbing individualism in a way that doesn't, in my opinion, feel too much like those aforementioned Red Scare movies like Invasion of the Body Snatchers, but it's more based in this misanthropic postmodern anxiety of being the bad neighbor, the tightrope between taking care of one's own needs and consideration for those that live so very close by in the hive-like apartment complexes of modern megalopolises. And, 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 and the pressure to lose oneself in the need to please those around us at the expense of ourselves. As someone who's currently recording this podcast in a building that looks a lot like the one in 1BR, that hit home. Now, it's a movie that one could argue is about self-protection. Uh, and it's, it's from, from external forces and even internal ones, too, which are manipulated by those same external forces. But... But ultimately, thanks to this, there's a fantastic near final shot of this clenched fist. And when you guys see that in context, you'll know what I'm talking about. Thanks to that, we are told that the power to control oneself comes from within and it is taken, not given. And I don't think this movie preaches lack of empathy, as some have said. Quite the opposite. I think it preaches self-care while having consideration for others. Something that if we all practice would actually create a better world. Just that, that empathy for others, as well as taking care of oneself. I think it created a better world. So, overall, it's a very watchable horror movie. I always enjoy when a little movie like this absolutely crushes it and knocks it over the fence, and I was very pleasantly surprised with how little like a low-budget horror this felt like. I, and, I, and I swear <laughs> I am not kissing this movie's ass when I say all this. By the way, I, I went into this movie hoping it was good, but expecting something average to decent watchable, I was expecting watchable. What I got was something very special. And frankly, it's one of my favorite new horror movies of the year. It's, it's really good. It had me thinking for long afterwards. Uh, I know the ending. If you've seen uh, The Invitation, there's been a lot of criticism that the ending here is uh, a little close to that. But I, I, I could argue otherwise. But I'm going to save that argument until I'm on the hook with the people who made the movie because I want to question them about that and talk about that with them. So come on back to the show later and we will find out from the horse's mouth 
what exactly was going on in 1BR. But definitely check it out and check it out before we do that interview because uh, spoiler warning will be in effect for that entire interview. It's going to be spoiler task. We're going to talk about a lot of stuff that happened in the movie. So stick around for next week's show where I'll be interviewing Alok Mishra, who was the producer of 1BR, and Naomi Grossman and Clayton Hoff from the movie itself. So that was the first week of Horror Palooza. The first seven movies, they're done. They're in the bag. I got them out of the way, which means now it's suggestion time. That's right. If you guys are out there wondering what to watch this week on Netflix, Hulu, Amazon Prime, I've got 31 movies from each that you can check out, and it's going to be a good time. Uh, Start with Netflix, and of course, I just mentioned 1BR is on there, so check it out if you have a chance on Netflix. Also, The Ritual, if you haven't seen The Ritual, stop, pause me, just pause me right now and go watch it. The Ritual is one of the best creature films of the last, ooh, I could say 20 years. It's really good. Green Room is on there, which is a nasty little film and very worth a watch. The original Evil Dead is on Netflix. The Girl with All the Gifts, which is an awesome zombie film. It's only there until October 31st. Check that out while you have the chance. Gerald's Game, a really mind-bending take on a Stephen King uh, book, is really good, and that's on there. Would You Rather is on there. It's got Jeffrey Combs in it. Just watch it for Jeffrey Combs. The Black Coat's Daughter is a very, very slow-burn, low-key, chill movie, Uh, but it's also real. I loved it, and it gets better the more you think about it if you go back and watch it. It's really well done, but uh, definitely for the the slower-paced art house crowd. Paranormal Activities on there, Sinister, those are, uh, those are pretty big movies. If you don't know those, uh, check them out. Sinister is actually one of the few major horror movies that I absolutely loved, and I had no, no reason that movie should have been as good as it was. Ethan Hawke is amazing. That's all i got to say. Creep is on Netflix, very good found footage film. Killer Clowns from Outer Space. If you want an absolutely ridiculous time, you must check out that movie. It is so crazy. I love that it's everywhere this year. Killer Clowns Matter Space is great. The original Poltergeist is on Netflix. Session 9, which is one of the movies I always like. That and Frailty are two just low-key, slow-burn horror movies that fell through everyone's cracks in the early 2000s. Definitely check out Session 9. Go in completely blind, not knowing what it's about. It's fantastic. Insidious, another big uh, horror film. Hate the third act. Love the rest of the movie. That's on there. The Autopsy of Jane Doe. One of my favorite movies in the last few years that I found in Horror Palooza. That's on there still. You have to watch Autopsy of Jane Doe. So good. Tim Burton's Sleepy Hollow is on there. One of the most beautiful damn modern horror films ever made. All the throwbacks to the old uh, Universal stuff is great in that movie. That, I, I came around on that. The, 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 the plot is still kind of dumb, but my God, it's good to watch. It's so beautiful. The Invitation, which I just mentioned, is also on Netflix. Very cool film. Pan's Labyrinth by Guillermo del Toro. You could argue if it's horror or not. I say it is. Definitely a fantastical film uh, with some horrific elements. Beautiful. Absolutely one of the most beautiful films of all time. Silence of the Lambs. It's a damn horror film. It's on Netflix. Check it out. If you, ha- if you haven't watched Silence of the Lambs, what have you done with your life? Bird Box, uh, I know it was controversial because it's a little too close to Quiet Place, but it's still damn good. Check it out. Devil's Advocate, Keanu, Keanu, Charlize Theron, before she was Charlize Theron. Uh, it's, it's awesome. Devil's Advocate is, it's barely a horror film, but it's got the devil in it. It's got Al Pacino playing the devil. What do you want? As Above, So Below, 
Not the best movie on this list, but uh, definitely very watchable. Shutter is on there, S-H-U-T-T-E-R, uh, which is very good. Uh, and then we've got Hold the Dark, another one that I had for Horror Palooza, and we had to argue about whether it was a horror movie or not. I say it is. I say it's a horror movie. It is chilling, but it's definitely more on the thriller side of the horror game. Uh, also, The Endless, which I just mentioned, and uh, Eli, which is a really awesome movie that I did last year for Horror Palooza. Definitely worth checking out, Eli. And then also, we've got a couple of other Stephen King ones, 1922 and In the Tall Grass, both very watchable. Uh, I think 1922 is a better film than In the Tall Grass. In the Tall Grass falls apart in the third act, but it's still very watchable. It's some really creepy stuff in it. Uh, and Apostle is a really disturbing film on Netflix. And, of course, House of a Thousand Corpses, Rob Zombie's first film, which some people love it, some people hate it. Definitely worth watching. And lots of death, as you would imagine from that title. On Hulu, we've got Hellraiser 1 and 2. Always good to watch, but I think they're going away at the end of the month, so get them while you can. Uh, if you haven't watched them, like Sounds the Lambs, what are you doing with your life? What are you listening to my show for? Go watch those. Oculus is on there, another great mainstream horror film that is way better than it should be. It's from the, from the same guy who directed Gerald's Game. Really good, uh, twisty movie. Did it on Horrorpalooza, I think, a year or two ago. Really keeps you guessing all the way to the end. Very, very cool movie. Check it out. Also, Let the Right One In is on Hulu. One of my favorite horror movies of all time. The original Swedish version. Uh, definitely check it out. Vampire film. If you haven't seen it, you must check it out. Stir of Echoes. Going a little old. Stir of Echoes, a movie that just got absolutely bulldozed by The Sixth Sense when it came out. But it's a really good little horror film with Kevin Bacon. Definitely should check that out as well. The Shrine which I did a few years ago before I had the podcast for Horror Palooza. I found it uh, that way. It's an, it's an indie horror film, but it's very, very cool. It goes in ways you don't expect. Feels indie, but definitely worth checking out. The Lodge is on, uh, is on Hulu. I'll be checking that out later on this month for Horror Palooza. Goodnight Mommy, also very creepy film. Crawl, if you like your monsters and you like your monsters to be crocodiles and you like there to be a hurricane and you're trapped in a flooded house with a crocodile, you can watch Crawl. So, shockingly good. I didn't think it was going to be as good as it was. Overlord, which I did last year, which is more action horror, but my God, the horror is grisly in this movie. It is, it's some nasty body horror in Overlord. But World War II zombies, enough said. Pie Wacket, I've also done recently for the show. It's a, it is one of the creepier films I've seen the last few years. Very underrated. Definitely recommend checking out Pie Wacket. Sansa Lambs is also on Hulu. The Orphanage, or La Orphanata, it is fantastic. It is a sister movie, I think, to The Others. Uh, and also Devil's Backbone. It's somewhere between the two. But I definitely recommend checking out The Orphanage. Good, creepy one. Grabbers, if you want a little horror comedy about people who... There's aliens taking over a town. The only way that they can... Escape them is by getting drunk. Yeah, that's a, that's a great plot right there. The original Amityville Horror is on Hulu. Frankenstein and the Monster from Hell, which I mentioned earlier in the show, that is on Hulu until October 31st. Interview with the Vampire is now on Hulu, one of the best vampire movies ever made. Tom Cruise, Brad Pitt, Antonio Banderas, Kirsten Dunst. My God, that's a good film. House of a Thousand, House of a Thousand Corpses is also on Hulu. Devil's Rejects, if you want some more Rob Zombie. 
Uh, I was never a big fan of the Rob Zombie movies. These are the two best ones, I think, although which is a, a, a Lords of Salem might sneak in there. But uh, the, the home invasion, the, the motel invasion scene in Devil's Rejects is probably the greatest horror scene that Rob Zombie has ever directed, and I'll stick by that. So that's worth checking out Devil's Rejects for. And if you like that kind of grisly, nasty horror, Hostel 1 and 2 are on Hulu through October 31st. Burnt Offerings. Oh, I love Burnt Offerings. What a great movie that is. I don't want to say a thing about it. Go into it completely blind. Uh, Oliver Reed, baby. Burnt Offerings is on Hulu. Silver Bullet. Terrible, terrible werewolf makeup. Very good film. Go figure. Amityville Horror. I think I mentioned that already. That's right. I did it twice. Right, because I had Hostel 1 and 2. That's how we get 31. Friday the 13th, final chapter. Also, they've got number 3 on there. See, I'm filling out the 31 somehow. So there's a couple of Friday the 13th you can watch. Two of the good ones. Two of the better ones are on Hulu. Cabin in the Woods is on Hulu as well. One of the best meta-horror films ever made. My Bloody Valentine, the original My Bloody Valentine is on Hulu. I did not check to see if it was the unedited version, though, so I have to check that. Either way, it's good. It's just a matter of how gory it is if you want to see some, some real gore with the pickaxe. Uh, Elvira, Mistress of, Mistress of the Dark, argue with me if you want about if it's a horror movie. Bro, it's like The Addams Family. It's not really a horror movie, but it's just really horror-themed. It's great for this time of year. It's an awesome movie. It's Elvira. I'm giving it a pass. It's on the list. Evil Dead 2 is on Hulu. The host from the director of uh, Parasite. If you want a monster movie by him, the host is on there. Last House on the left. Really, really nasty old Wes Craven movie. And, of course... If you want to go a little bit forward in time and get your Christmas started early, Rare Exports, A Christmas Tale, is one of the gnarliest Christmas horror movies ever made. If you have not watched Rare Exports, I don't care what season it is, go check it out. And finally, let's talk about Amazon Prime. Amazon Prime's got a grip of horror. So much old stuff, but I'm just going to try and get it down to 31 here. It's got Taking of Deborah Logan as well. Uh, Fright Night, the original Fright Night, one of the best movies ever. Oh, I love Fright Night. That's on there. The House That Dripped Blood, which is an anthology movie with with, uh, Peter Cushing and Christopher Lee, is on there. Bride of Reanimator, which I'm also doing this month for Horror Palooza, is on there. Midsummer, a controversial movie. I I like hated it. Uh, I liked things. I hated things. I know a lot of people that like it. I know a lot of people that hate it. Midsummer is on there. Suspiria, the new Suspiria, the 2018 Suspiria. I loved that movie. Suspiria is amazing. Very much not what you expect if you're a fan of the original Suspiria. If you go in with no preconceived notions, it is fantastic. Uh, Also, Countess Dracula, old Hammer horror film, Ingrid Pitt. Come on. Got to put it on there. House on Haunted Hill, the original with Vincent Price, one of the classics for me for the Halloween season, one of the best ever. Silent Hill, speaking of best ever, one of the best video game adaptations of all time. Just unbelievable how hardcore that movie goes a few times. Very entertaining movie, very gnarly movie based on on one of the creepiest video games of all time. Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2 where they basically they take the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre and turn everything up to 11. Just go completely gonzo in that film. Invasion of the Body Snatchers, the 78 version with Leonard Nimoy, that's on Amazon. The original Phantasm is on there. Night of the Demons is on there. Mm, 
I would love to get more people's opinions on that. I, I never liked it, but it is considered a classic. So tell me what you think. Society. Brian Usna's Society. Oh, my God. If you can, if you can it's, it's, it's a slow movie for about 80%, and then it goes so off the rails, it makes up for the other 80% of that movie. It is absolutely batshit insane, the ending of Society. Cabin in the Woods is also on Amazon. Motel Hell, which might be popping up later this year on, the, on Horrorpalooza. Hereditary. Oh, I hate the ending, but my God, that's a good movie. Bad Taste, Peter Jackson, Lord of the Rings, Peter Jackson, his very first film, Bad Taste, which is an absolutely insane little horror comedy, is on Amazon. You must check it out. Wishmaster, which I did, I think, last year or the year before. Uh, It's the genie. It's the evil genie movie. It's so much fun. It's awesome. I didn't realize how awesome Wishmaster was. I can't believe I only didn't watch it till recently. If you haven't watched it, you should also make up for that error and go watch Wishmaster. The original Night of the Living Dead is on Amazon. The Howling is on Amazon. One of the best werewolf movies ever. Killer Clowns from Outer Space is also on Amazon. Madhouse with Vincent Price. One of the awesome Vincent Price movies is on there. Uh, if you want to go old school, they have tons of old school stuff, but they have one of the original horror movies ever. The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari is on there. Ooh, God, it's a, that's a cool looking movie. Uh, you've got City of the Living Dead if you want some Italian zombie horror. You've got Chud on Amazon if you want to do some 80s goopy underground dwellers horror. You've got zombies. You've got Train to Busan if you want Korean zombies instead of Italian zombies. Train to Busan, by the way, one of the best modern zombie movies. Fight me. We Are Still Here is on there. I can't call it a zombie. It's, it's not a zombie movie. It's something else. I can't spoil what that movie's about, but We Are Still Here is one of the movies that I throw to everybody and be like, have you watched this? Go watch it. Go watch it. Hidden Gem. That movie's awesome. Midnight Meat Train. Bradley Cooper before he was Bradley Cooper. Vinny Jones murdering people on the subway and a twist ending that only Clive Barker could give you. That is also a low... Like That's, that's a movie that got slept on from the day it was released. Midnight Meat Train's great. Uh, and then finally, we got Dolls, which is showing up later on on Horrorpalooza, and Bone Tomahawk. If you like a lot of Western with your horror, Bone Tomahawk is the business. Also one of the gnarliest kills you will ever see, hands down, full stop. Uh, also, I know I mentioned them on other services, but Amazon's also got Hellraiser 1 and 2, Crawl, Overlord, Rare Exports. There's a ton of stuff on Amazon. Very good place to go to find horror or you could just be cheap like me and get Shutter for six bucks a month, and they've got a ton of stuff on Shutter as well. I'll save that for I'll save that for later because there's a bunch of good stuff on Shutter because it's all horror. Good lord! So that's it for the show today, everybody. Thank you for sticking around, hanging out with me on Horror Palooza. Thanks for sticking to the end of the show and hearing all the recommendations for, for movies to check out on the streaming services. We will be back next week with more. The next seven horror movies, as well as an interview with Alok Mishra, producer of 1BR, and two members of the cast as well. So come back for that. As always, I am Sir Ian Dangerous, a.k.a. your Uncle Frank. You can find me on Twitter at Sir Ian Dangerous, on Instagram at Sir Ian Dangerous as well. So come find me. Let me know what you think about my picks. Let me know what you think about my reviews. Let me know what you think about the show. Check me out on Busted Wide Open if you like wrestling. And until next time, thank you for joining me right here on 